You are now listening to Failing Ads Up with your co-hosts, George Jr. Ibarra and Antonio Romero. Stay tuned. Welcome to the first episode of Failing Ads Up. I'm your host. My name is Antonio Romero. I am a realtor slash entrepreneur here in the Des Moines metro area. And alongside with me on every single episode is going to be my other host, Jorge Junior Ibarra with Ibarra Realty Group and Entrepreneur. Correct. There we go. There we go. So we just uh, want to thank everyone for tuning in to this first episode of the Failing Ads Up podcast. And uh, really, this first episode, Junior, is to kind of just talk about what uh, you know our whole concept and idea behind uh, the podcast is, right? Yeah, correct. You know, this concept kind of stemmed from your idea, right, and wanting to get to know a lot of successful people. And along with that, we know that there's a lot of failure before you get to success, right? And so the concept of failing adds up you know uh ties it all kind of together so yeah well i'm super super excited about this podcast and uh and today it's kind of fun because we get to talk a little bit about my journey yeah there you go so uh main topic of today is you know getting to know junior and and all his sacrifices and failures that he made along the way so let's just get right into it um and kind of start from the beginning definitely yeah if we had to start from the beginning it's i i I have to start essentially with my parents um so my parents are actually from mexico i was actually born in mexico so shout out to all my people from sinaloa you know (laughs) and uh, i was born in los mochis sinaloa and my my dad actually my mom says i get a a lot of my like smarts from him you know Mm -hmm. he actually grew up he was a very smart man and went to the university and uh, got his graduate degree in everything in engineering, so electrical engineering. Okay. And he was a college professor, and so he was he was smart. But in Mexico, you you don't va- make very much. Mm-hmm. Um, even to this day, I know some of my family members who make about thirty dollars a month down in Mexico, wow. um, and you know just make ends meet from that standpoint. Yeah. And so my parents were very very, how do you say, just very proactive and wanting to search for a better life for themselves and so when I was born my dad actually ended up going to California so this was back in like 86 Mm -hmm. Uh, the original George Bush senior there was an amnesty between Mexico uh, because back then they just needed more labor workers uh, to work like the fields so he actually moved to California so for the first three years of my life my mom told me that i i didn't really know my dad you know besides his his voice you know when they would talk over the phone yeah so um he he moved to california and it's kind of like the movies like uh, Mm -hmm. he would he was in a in a house with a a lot of other guys Uh, they would wake up super super early for four in the morning and and just walk down to the end of the street and then some trucks would literally pick them up and then off they would go to like either pick strawberries or watermelons or whatever it was for that day and they would get paid cash you know that's that's so crazy that you know he'd set his ego aside being an engineer having his you know college degree and being a professor but he put that all aside so that way he can move to the US and and take that job of you know just picking strawberries and and those sort of things just so he can 
help his family out. Yeah, no, I, that's why I, I like to go back that far because I admire mm-hmm. my parents and what they did. So the first three years, that's what he did. He raised enough money to then eventually bring my mom and I over to California. And so that was in Watsonville, California. And so okay. shout out to my Watsonville friends. <laughs> I have a, a friend named Cortez. Uh-huh. He, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so um, So we moved out there. And, you know, my mom didn't like it right away just because you know the city life and Uh, a lot of the traffic and plus we were living in a house full of a bunch of other people that we didn't know and so out of all places uh one day they were just driving out getting groceries and i was there with them you know Uh i was a a little three-year-old and uh on the radio they heard an announcement in spanish and that they heard about this place called iowa and there was a, a company called ibp it was a uh, like a slaughterhouse okay and in perry iowa and uh I, I think it's now tyson you know so uh-huh. but uh they heard the announcement and they were just announcing how they needed more workers to come move to perry iowa because of <laughs> the demand and how they were helping families move to iowa and they kind of just announced oh iowa's a great place to raise a family it has great schools and things of that nature so it caught my mom's ears because it was like ooh, family oriented yeah, state yeah. Uh, let's give it a shot and they literally looked at each other and said well what do we have to lose you know they they already wow. moved they left their families back in mexico yeah um and so they literally packed up the little they had and traveled to iowa and my dad ended up starting to work for for ibp and so that what? was the first move to iowa yeah. how how did they even get to iowa like just like maps or what well no yeah so yeah maps back in the day they didn't have gps right yeah. but um yeah, the, the company did help, like, oh, okay. actually make the move. And so they actually connected my family with a local church. Okay. And they helped kind of facilitate. For a little while there, uh, we were living in a motel. I remember the motel. Oh. I, like, I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I just remember it was right next to a pizza hut. Uh-huh. And so we would walk to the pizza hut. <laughs> and that's when they had those old, uh, uh, what do you call them, like the, the, the music booths where you could pick oh, your the soundtrack jukeboxes. the jukeboxes and so i used to play like michael jackson and dance <laughs> and eat pizza hut and so that's what i remember about first getting to to iowa and uh so yeah that started the journey here in iowa um and we were very blessed in that sense that yeah. the, the church did help us kind of get us off the ground okay then from there we kind of just started mo- my we were, were there for a couple years my even my brother was born um, back in Iowa, in Iowa. Okay. yeah, in 92, we had lived in, we were still living in Perry mm-hmm. and they had to drive to Des Moines, um, to, to, to where he was born. Yeah. Uh, but eventually we started moving around. My, my dad was just looking for other opportunities and just different jobs. And we kind of moved from slaughterhouse to, to chicken coops and uh-huh. Alden, Iowa, Clarion, Iowa, like Iowa city, things of that nature until we eventually landed in Des Moines. They were just looking for a good uh, place to raise their family. Okay. And in Des Moines, we landed, um, my, my dad started working for a, a meat packing plant, um, that no longer exists, but he, uh, one of the stories I like to tell about my parents is, um, you know, while my mom, they were working some crazy hours. Like, yeah. so my dad was working night shifts while my mom went to school growing mm-hmm. up. I just remember my mom coming home crying oh. because she didn't understand the language right, and, right. and me sitting there, I don't know, as early as five years old, like helping her like translate what's on, <laughs> on, you know, in English and from English to Spanish. But also another cool thing, you know, when my dad got to the meat packing plant is, uh, you know, he would be there packing the meat and, uh, 
he he's a very smart man so he and he hates not having something to do so when the machines would break down he um literally got tired of waiting so he started fixing the machines Uh himself what (laughs) and so when management realized oh this guy knows how to fix things yeah yeah. they eventually moved him into the mechanical side as a maintenance guy and he started kind of doing some of that and so he's always been such a hard worker and i remember just growing up with him Uh and not only would he work that but he would also do a lot of handyman type stuff growing up so he would take me with him on the weekends or nights and i'd be there handing him tools and things of that nature so Uh i i just grew up seeing that hard work ethic you know so when he when you say like he went and just like got bored and fixed things that it was that pretty much he already had that knowledge because of the engineering and like you said he was always kind of handy in a sense yeah he's you know like some people just have that kind of uh way that their brain works where mm-hmm. they're able just to fix things so you know they're good with their hands yeah, yeah. I, i'm not that kind of person <laughs> i wish i was but i'm not i i do understand how how to fix things um uh or but i as far as me fixing them with my own hands i've never been really good at that <laughs> yeah so um again just you know following in the footsteps of my dad um you know there, there came a time where we finally settled like i said here in des moines and started going to school and I kind of was growing up uh, kind of getting in trouble, you know. Oh, um, I didn't know why. Uh, I, I think later I, they found out maybe I wasn't getting challenged as much um, because when by the time I got to middle school, one thing that really stood out was uh, there was a substitute teacher in a class, yeah. you know. And, again, I was fooling around, getting in trouble, and um, I eventually got sent to the principal's office. But what stood out for the, from that day was she did say I was going to a school where it was predominantly minorities, right? And so she did mention that, you know, when I was not listening to her, she's like, hey, you're just going to be another one of those statistics where um, you're, you're not going to graduate high school and not, and not go to college, you know? And I, I believe she referenced it into Latinos because most of us were Latinos in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I took that and I went home. This was back when, you know, it was dial-up internet. And, yeah, I don't even uh, know what that is. Yeah, yeah. So you're too young to even know what that is. But, like, I had to sit down, log into the internet, and you would hear that background noise, like, you know, trying to log into the internet. It would take, like, 10 minutes to log in. But once you got logged in, um, you know, I, I did search some stuff, and it, the, she was essentially pretty right, uh, you know, and, like, a lot of minorities not going to to the universities mm-hmm. that's i'm a i have a lot of like i have a competitive spirit yeah so that time like i, I came to the realization like i wanted to prove her wrong just uh-huh. to prove her wrong <laughs> and the statistics wrong uh-huh. and so i finally got kind of my my you know my schooling back on track from that standpoint just okay. because of that so i do thank her for that comment uh-huh. uh, because it kind of put me on track and from there when i did set my mind to to focusing in on school i mean i'll be honest it was i i i did score really well i ended up getting into a program in middle school in seventh grade where i tested really really high and like the 99th percentile in math and science Uh to where i was uh, chosen to be part of this program where as long as i kept uh, an average gpa of uh, i think a b or something like that Mm -hmm. i would get my university tuition paid for Uh i just had to choose something that was math and science related gotcha so would you say that was kind of going back to that story of you know that substitute teacher 
was that really like the turning point for you where you, you like you mentioned you didn't want to be average yeah correct yeah it was that mindset that that statistic like whenever i hear statistics i want to be on the like when they say the the 98% land in this well i want to be that 2% mm-hmm. <laughs> you know or the you know the 99% land in this i want to be that 1% and so when i saw those statistics and how she was essentially right how most mi- minorities uh, and of Latino descent yeah. didn't go on to college. It was more of like, I want to prove that stat wrong. Okay. And so that was that, you know, and so growing up, you know, the, the entrepreneurship side of me also started kicking in around that time, you know, so when I, I wasn't in school, yeah. I was working, you know, wow. and trying to help pay, you know, some family bills and things of that nature at home too. And also just, so I always like, didn't want to be, if I wanted something, I ha- I just seeing my dad, I would just go out, work for it and get it. So, mm. uh, my entrepreneurship started, uh, you know, I started working at the Iowa state fairground, um, for the whole summer with my cousin Adan, you know, and, and, uh, uh, we and my cousin Jose and started just saving money to buy my very first car when I was 14, you know? And mm. so, I ended up buying that first car at 14. You know, I wasn't supposed to kind of be driving around because yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I had a I had a school permit, but oh, I, yeah, I was yeah. still driving to practice. And my parents were working so much. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember I would go to soccer practice and park like a block away, so uh-huh. the parents didn't see me driving oh. out to practice <laughs> on my own. <laughs> and uh, but that's when I bought my first car. One thing I bought it for 300 bucks, a Mitsubishi Galant. I still remember it, a white one. I put those shiny plastic rims on it, you know, buffed <laughs> it up a little bit, had some spinners on it and everything. And what I learned there was also like, hey, I could take something that's a little ugly, yeah. put a little bit of elbow grease into it, a little bit of money into it. And I was able to sell that later on for like 1500 bucks, you know, and the yeah. way and the way I found that out is just through the Internet. Like, oh, people are, would buy this a little bit nicer car now. Uh, after yep. I put a little bit in and in, in sell it. And so I started kind of doing flipping cars since I was what? 14 up until high school where I eventually got up to like having a, a really nice, pretty much model year uh, Chevy S10. What do you think like sparked that though? Because like, so you said like that you were seeing it on the internet, but was there anything else that sparked you where you're like, wait, like I don't need this as my first car. Like I can, you know, upgrade after this. Like what sparked that sense of like, oh, I'm going to, kind of you know fix it up and then sell it for more yeah again just kind of like you know seeing my dad put in all that work and my mom doing a ton of work too to to better herself and so when you know when I wasn't working or I wasn't at soccer practice I was working on my car and then just kind of seeing that I could sell it for more it just sparked that interest like hey I can make money doing something I like I liked like cleaning my car you know I liked like uh you know making it something that was a little ugly look a little bit better i liked it and i was Mm. like i can make money on this this is cool i'll just keep doing this over and Mm. over so like i literally kept doing that over and over until i i landed a a nice little chevy s10 like i said that i ended up taking to college you know so um that kind of that kind of has continued down down the path you know uh eventually obviously i got to high school um, I love sports growing up. I love the competitiveness of that. I remember being a junior uh, in high school and having a senior 
um, being be on my soccer team, and I was a, okay. a captain in my junior year, my senior year. Yeah. But always like there was this senior who was on the track team who literally just joined soccer kind of oh, as an add-on to fast. yeah. And I I hated losing to him, so I literally would stand right next to him every time we had to like do sprints yeah. to so that I, one day I could beat him. And I you know eventually got to like I eventually like <laughs> beat him, and uh-huh. he hated it because I was a junior, <laughs> you know. But that's the like the the competitor in me. Like I'm always love I love competition, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that continued on. You know, I, I eventually decided to go to Iowa State University, so go Cyclones. <laughs> and uh, and I ended up joining, you know, going to school, and I had to pick a, a math or science-related career. Okay. And so I – but I wanted to study business because of the entrepreneur bug that yeah. kind of hit me when I was younger, uh, but I couldn't. So I chose the closest thing to business that I could, and which was industrial engineering, and I, and I ended up getting a minor in business. Wow. And and I went on to 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 Iowa State, but I'll be honest, man. Those that first year, it, it was hard because yeah. my I wasn't with my family. Right. I, had, I I was homesick, even though I was only thirty minutes away. <laughs> but just not having your parents and your brother and your cousins up there, it was it was hard to to kind of get in rhythm up up in the university. So you kind of said, you know, most of your um, education from right when you started kindergarten kind of leading up to high school and eventually college you said it was like in a sense pretty easy to you do you feel like that was the same when you went into college oh absolutely not uh college was so much harder um you know like you said like kind of growing up everything i I ended up getting like a 4.1 gpa Mm -hmm. average in high school there was only one other girl, May Lynn, who actually beat me, and she uh. was the valedictorian. <laughs> but uh, uh, but no, like so, college was way harder because you have to self learn. That's I yeah. think yeah. the biggest thing that I learned from college was the, like how to go out, off on my own okay. and learn things on my own. Yeah, yeah. So I would literally, you know, it was a challenge. I actually had to study to because I wasn't getting that, you know, good <laughs> grades like I was. And so I literally had to go into the library at Iowa State and go to, I can't remember, I think it was like the third or fourth floor where there was literally no one. Like, like, that's where they kept the old books. And I would like literally seclude myself in the corner where there was literally no one walking by and just study, you know, day in and day out so that I could get passing grades. And uh, and it was one of those things where I was like also hoping to make my parents proud to like, because we have a huge family. On my dad's side, there's 13 brothers and sisters. Oh. My mom has 10. So I have over 100 first cousins. And I was going to be the first of those cousins to actually graduate from a u.s university and so i kind of felt that pressure too mm-hmm. i felt that i think i put on myself um of of accomplishing that again just one of those challenges again to prove that stat and also hoping to make my parents proud but looking back now whatever i would have done they would have been proud right so speaking on like your family and education Kind of going back before you did hit that that turning point of hearing that statistic, um, how was your family, I guess, with, you know, you not doing as well educationally, like before you hit the turning point? Did Were like, they pressuring you or on you? You mean when I was, like, younger? Yeah, like just because I know, like, coming from, you know, Hispanic background, I, I could say that, you know, 
parents like that's probably one of the most important things for a kid is for them to get higher education right Mm -hmm. yeah no yeah i mean my parents were super strict with me at least i i I feel like with my brother they weren't (laughs) and i joke about that but no yeah they were super strict you know and i and i thank them for that and so they would always kind of put me back in check or i couldn't go go to soccer if i wasn't you know getting getting good grades and things of that nature and so um i i thank them for that you know so to kind of put me back on track as well with that so Mm -hmm. along with kind of you know hearing what that substitute teacher told me back in middle school but yeah my parents have a lot to do with it and then just knowing that i the sacrifices and 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 seeing my you know my mom cry and my my dad working three jobs doing anything to put food on the table i i remember also one of the the things that pops up and i can't remember it was some sometime in middle school like seventh or eighth grade uh, just being, you know, at the stop of Sixth and University near Mercy Hospital, and and someone just came up, and um, you know, knocked on our, and we were at a red stoplight, and they knocked on the window, and they were asking for money. You know, uh, my dad did end up giving him like a sandwich, like a we had just left McDonald's, um, and he gave him a sandwich. But then he also looked over at me and said, "Hey, son, you know, like." you see him he speaks english really well (laughs) and he's an american citizen you know luckily we had became citizens over time Uh, but he just said you you this is the greatest country in the world there's no excuse for anyone who lives in this country to not go out there and just kill it (laughs) you know because what he's like what i figured out here in the u.s compared to mexico is that you actually get out what you put in mm-hmm. and you can climb that ladder of success if you want it mm-hmm. you know and so that just kind of put things into perspective not that you know maybe we don't know anything about that guy right, you right. know and what he went through or whatnot but he was just saying like hey go out and put in that work you know and don't uh, expect give me like no one's mm-hmm. going to give you okay. anything yeah, you have yeah. to go out there and earn it Right. right right and so um uh so those are like some really big things that i learned growing up and over time. yeah just over time and you know in the university again i one of the other coolest things going back to kind of where i was at with yeah. the university was like self-learning and relationships okay. the other cool thing i learned from college is i was interacting with people within my fraternity that came from different backgrounds like from a farming farming community and my fraternity different countries you know in my engineering courses i got i was able to meet people from korea from india from brazil and what the coolest thing is and i I fell in love with humans Mm -hmm. like at the core we were all the same when it came down to faith and family and just core values maybe we believed in different things when it came to faith but you know they believed in a higher power but ultimately family and just core values all were very very similar and so we would get along from that standpoint like we all wanted to work hard we all wanted to have fun we all wanted to play soccer Mm -hmm. have some drinks things of that nature and ultimately no matter where you were in the world i found that so so intriguing because i was finally outside of my little bubble yeah with the, which was only just my family that's all i knew i now was meeting people from all over the world and all of them i found so intriguing because ultimately we were all the same mm. you know so what, what would you say would be your what was your biggest takeaway from college 
just yeah, in general? I'd, I'd say that, like just being able to interact with humans from across the world and finding how awesome they are. You know, to this day, I always say I love like meeting humans and that's maybe the, that has helped me from a business standpoint because I love to network and just yeah. meet people and get to know them and, and what drives them and what keeps them going, what, what aspires them to climb to this level of success and things of that nature. And so I've always liked to, to kind of study that and learn about other people. Gotcha. So, and building those relationships uh-huh. to this day, I have a lot of relationship that stem from college that uh, has uh, helped, you know, as we continue to grow in the businesses and in the entrepreneurship world that I'm in. So, yeah, nice. yeah. So that's kind of the biggest thing from college. Uh, you know, I did graduate, finally graduate and received my industrial engineering degree. And uh, I started applying for jobs. And ultimately, and, and back in 2010, it's crazy to think that that was 10 years ago. <laughs> so that puts a timestamp on me. Uh, but uh, I was able to interview for jobs and ultimately decided to uh, join an oil and gas company. Okay. okay? And so it's cool because to this day now I have a, a, I'm, I'm all about investing in relationships. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because back in 2010, my now business partner, Ryan Cahoy, is when we met. And we always joke about, uh, you know, they had interviewed like 20 plus engineers for this this one role Mm -hmm. and they narrowed it down to us two, you know, and um, they said they couldn't decide between us two. So they ended up hiring us both. Okay. We look back and laugh because we're, we're like, they probably took one salary and divided it into two, and we're the suckers that took it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a big believer in that everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. and uh, people get put in your life for a reason. And so we were able to both start uh, at, in the same role uh, with our manager uh, helping us. And we took the six months worth of training, and I got, and I was able to meet some really cool people there because there were engineers from all over the world there too we had a really cool uh person we met fabio down from brazil who i still stay in touch with every now and again and people from india and nepal and thing in russia and things Mm. of that nature so again Mm. it was just cool to interact with that kind of culture Um, but after the six months they literally said okay you have the training and we used to sell essentially uh, computer systems or controllers that uh, ran, help run large oil compressors and keep them within their process limits. So, for example, a large oil compressor could be the size of a car or the size of this whole building Ooh. that we're in or the size of a house that, that cost millions upon millions of dollars. And our computer systems helped them run within their process limits to make sure that they were always running, right? So they wouldn't break down because otherwise there goes a million dollars a million dollar machine or mm-hmm. five million or ten million dollar machine yeah and so uh our controllers themselves would also cost like a little controller like you know about that the size of like your your arm about twenty thousand dollars and then the engineering behind it to get it all set up you could spend a hundred two hundred five hundred thousand dollars on on getting something set up and so we were salespeople that helped with that okay. um and so ryan what they gave us as far as a task after we received the training was they said here's i don't remember like 500 past customers and they bought our systems at some point or another they could be 20 30 years old and some of these are going obsolete and they literally said go out and 
reconnect with them because we haven't talked to them in a long time so i i learned a lot from that i learned how to cold call first of all (laughs) um and so and and how to like use technology because we even like use google sometimes these these phone numbers that we had didn't exist because they had been bought out by other companies sometimes Mm -hmm. we would go to google maps try to find a sign a current sign and literally call that number in that sign and started creating all these spreadsheets and different ways of connecting with these clients and then literally kind of informing them like here's an update on your current system and eventually you know we did we did a really good job it took us literally a year to reconnect with all these clients and we were just giving them up to date hey in about a year your your system's going to be obsolete and you'll have to upgrade to this controller uh, for us to be able to still support you you know so were you and ryan like working together or were you like in a sense competing each against each other yeah I mean, I mean we were working together and like again i'm so glad that we we were able to put two brains together and and come up with a system within ourselves mm-hmm. within our within the company yeah. you know mm-hmm. and so we eventually learned how we bring d- different strengths to the table you know i always like to say how ryan's like 30 times smarter than me <laughs> <laughs> he's just like super meticulous on yeah. everything he has a mechanical engineering background but I'm more of the the fearless, like when it comes to the extrovert side of things, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you can put me in front of a crowd or, or in that I don't know and I'll go and meet everyone or put me in front of a hundred people and I'll speak, you know, if I, yeah. if I know what I'm talking about in regards to the subject matter. But, you know, so we kind of balanced each other out with some of that and used each other's strengths to help kind of conquer that task. And little by little, we were succeeding to the point where eventually they even... Uh, told us okay now go out and travel and meet these people in person and so one of the things i learned through that company was more so you know how to come up with systems how to connect with uh different uh people within an organization and find out who that decision maker was Mm. because ultimately you know the guy we were talking to we started kind of from the ground up like the guy who actually worked on the machines right he's the maintenance guy yeah but he's not the one that's going to say yes upgrade our whole system and spend 500,000 or a million dollars on a new system, right? So kind of going to meet him, finding out who his direct manager was, finding Uh who, and ultimately finding out who the decision maker was who would officially say, yes, let's upgrade our system or let's buy a service contract, you know, to have them maintain our systems and things of that nature, which was our ultimate goal was to either get upgrades or, uh, or get, um, service contracts for us to just make money off of the consumer base mm. that that company had right okay so how long were you um, working there then yeah so one of the cool things that happened is with, because Ryan and I were working so well together we're like what else can we do outside of our engineering of this, yeah. firm uh, to see if we can succeed outside of this and so both of us ended up f- uh, realizing that we uh, wanted to get involved in real estate. Mm. Uh, I had read a book uh, in my fifth year of college called Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh yeah, which Robert I'm sure Kiyosaki. has yeah, Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki, right? It's changed a lot of lives. Yeah, it sure. definitely changed my mindset. So I knew eventually I wanted to be an entrepreneur because of that book uh-huh. um, and have my own business. And also I found out that I would be involved in real estate in some form or manner because the common denominator for most, a lot of, not most, but a lot of successful people is either one, they make their money through real estate 
or they make their money through another business venture of some sort, but they also end up putting a lot of money into real estate, right. you know? So I knew eventually I would get involved in that. And I ended up finding out Ryan also wouldn't get involved with that. So oh, okay. back in 2013, we bought our very, very first property, which we still own a little house on Maury street here in Des Moines, um, that we bought for like 25 grand. And, Ooh. uh, we bought it didn't it was pretty much a turnkey property meaning okay. it just needed a little bit of paint and it was ready to rent so that was our first acquisition uh, where ryan and i opened up our own company and bought our first rental property so how did you even start that because you know there's so many people that want to start investing into real estate and um you know just getting into that type of industry how did you like you just go out there find a property and just buy it or what well yeah i you know we did a lot of research you know and like what that's the the engineer in us i guess is analyzing numbers and so we kind of found an equation that worked for us and so uh the one thing where you know where we help each other out ryan kind of does a little bit more of that that analyzing but I'm the one that I've never been afraid to go out and just do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not afraid to fail and then learn from it. Yeah. That's kind of how I've just grown up. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of help pull him to try new things. And he also helps balance me because sometimes I'm like, well, we're going to go from zero to 10. And then, <laughs> and then Ryan reminds me, you forgot steps five, six, and seven. You know? <laughs> but I help him like cross that, that, uh, that threshold where he's like, I don't want to do this. It's comfort zone. Yeah, I had the comfort zone, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, let's do it. You know, we'll figure it out, <laughs> you uh, know? Okay, and okay. so that's kind of what happened. We, we figured out how we could analyze a deal. And we said, well, this one fits, fits, fits the mold and it's a smaller property. I was like, let's just buy it. And so I networked with the guy who was selling it, which was an, an investor okay. who was buying lots of properties uh -huh. um, and selling some, you know, at the same time. Some doing a little bit of flipping gotcha. and doing a little bit of buy and hold. Gotcha, gotcha. Eventually, that same person we bought that property from, I developed a, a business relationship with. And he's the one that introduced me to some other investors who were buying five to six properties a month. Mm. Okay. And I was like, Damn. I was like, holy cow, That's like, how do you buy five to six properties a month, a month yeah. you know? And these were these investors who had come from Mason City to start investing in Des Moines. So I was so intrigued. So I asked him to introduce me to them. And eventually, like... I, I was able to meet them, you know, out for coffee. And that's the other cool thing I realized right then and there when I started uh -huh. doing some of this. Other successful people, they a lot of them have a, an abundance mindset. And they're more than willing to sit down with, back then, a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, and share some of the things that they're, they're learning, you know, and mm -hmm. network with other people. And so that was awesome because I, I was able to meet them. I was asking them, how can I help you? Like, is there a way I can help you? Because I want to learn from you. Like, I want to exchange here, you know. Yeah. And they said, well, hey, we need more more contractors. And luckily, my dad growing up here and him being a handyman, he knew a lot of other contractors. And so I was able to introduce uh, that those investors to some local contractors, bilingual contractors, Spanish, English, predominantly Spanish speaking. And they were impressed that I had that, those connections, connection. you know, they're like, Oh man, you, 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 you got a lot of connections here. So I ended up introducing them to them and they started working on a lot of properties and even so much so that I asked them, Hey, I want to, I'll work for free. I just want to learn how to do real estate. And to the point where they actually gave me a project that I could work at work 
on a on a property uh from start to finish mm-hmm. like nights and weekends when i wasn't working at my engineering job mm. and you were working absolutely for free for that yeah i was i was working for free at that point because i told them i just wanted to learn so i that's where i started to learn how to project manage a rehab mm-hmm. on, a, on an investment property eventually they're like why don't you just come work for us mm-hmm. like you you're by bi- you're fully bilingual you you can pick things up really quick why don't you come out here and start working for us and they were selling me on the concept of work to learn not to earn when you're young, uh, which is in, I think, Robert Kiyosaki's book as well. And uh, because they were offering me a third of what I was making as an engineer, you know. And back then I was like, you know, I was scared. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was just like, oh, no, my parents didn't, you know, I didn't go through all of this, go to college to now go to this, risk it all to be an entrepreneur. And make way less. And make way less at the same time. But what really kicked the bucket at the company that I was with um, is there's I, I realized that there's no such thing as a guarantee in life. You know, uh, there was a lot of management turnover in the company I was in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when, and, and I didn't like that. Uh, plus, at the same time, there was one year where Ryan and I did a ton of sales and we got a $3,000 bonus where we were like, yes, we got a $3,000. <laughs> you know, we also found out that some of our upper peers uh they got twenty thirty thousand dollar bonuses what? you know and they deserve it you know uh-huh. most like but i'm like what you know we yeah. sold a lot just as much as them and millions of dollars that year and uh but that wasn't the the bucket kicker it was more so that that same year when we got that three thousand dollar at the end of the year uh-huh. and some others got twenty thirty thousand well three four months later when management turned over again they let go a lot of those 20 plus engineering veterans mm-hmm. And guess who got a lot of their workload? You and Ryan? <laughs> the younger engineers, <laughs> right? And and Ryan and I were in that mix. and But we didn't really get it. We got a small salary bump. Oh, but, you know, wow. like they, they were like maybe thinking, oh, well, we're paying these guys six figures and twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 bonuses. You know, why not cut that and pay these guys less. <laughs> way less, right? <laughs> and so I, 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 and I felt more, I felt bad, like in the sense of like, dang it. These guys have, peop- you know, kids in high school, Family, kids in yeah. college, and now they literally just got fired um, after 20 years, and now they have oh. to maybe take something, um, you know, maybe less because they're just put in a position where, you know, make them like needs make make ends meet, right? Ends meet, and yeah. so I was like, do I really want to risk tw- the next 20 years and have that potentially happen to me? And that's when I finally made the decision. I actually put in my two weeks. I, I did my fiance at that time, now a wife. I was just like, you know, she she was always been very supportive. And she's like, hey, you helped me through beauty school. Now I have a job. We can live off of my income. And you can go out and give this a shot, you know. Mm. And with her support, I decided to move forward. You know, and back then my family, my parents are like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, but I did it. I always said I could always fall back on, on my engineering if I needed to. But there was, after I, I, I got out there, I mean, I was, I fell in love. And when I, I ended up working for them as a project manager, I ended up, I did end up negotiating something that kind of benefited me later into this state is I said, okay, I'll come work for you for a third of what I'm used to making. But I also want to open up a separate entity where it's using all your money and on top of that, also be able to use the, the labor force, which I helped introduce you to, uh, at least some of them. 
um, and I want to have sweat equity because back then I didn't really have very much money, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, so they said yes, and I was like, oh sweet, that's when I said yes, I'll come work for you. Oh, and back okay. then I only owned like ten percent of that company. Now I own about thirty-five percent, you know. But it was like I'll work for that sweat equity to also end up acquiring More, properties, yeah. you know. So in this in this same time that you uh, left your engineering job and started working with them. Was, did uh ryan join you as well or no no again he's the conservative one uh, <laughs> so he right, yeah, yeah. so he's like oh why I'm don't scared. you go out there and try it first and again i've always been the like, all, right. all right let me see <laughs> what happens you know and so he stayed back at the engineering company and i went first you know so uh, that was okay. back in that was back in 2013 and so from 2013 to 2014 i worked with this group of investors and we ended up tackling taking down 60 properties let's cut away really quickly to our sponsor of today's episode anchor if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain it's free super simple and one of my favorite favorite things that the website has is that they make it super uh, easy to navigate and it's um, pretty much set up for beginners because it tells you um, exactly what you have to do to set up your podcast to get it distributed and all that kind of stuff. And one of the very helpful tabs is that it does have a helpful section. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, so we did a lot of properties, 20 of which stayed with my entity that yeah. I had sweat equity in and the other 40 which stayed with their entity, entity you know, so um, which a lot of those were predominantly rental properties. And so what happened, though, in 2014 is that from 2013 to 2014, we caught like the last tail end of the foreclosure crisis. Uh, there was still a lot of foreclosures just on the open market. And so we were able mm-hmm. to buy a lot of those. Okay. okay. And so, but in 2014, I feel like foreclosures like dried up over like from one month to the next. There was literally no more foreclosures. And so one of our monetary investors that was helping us acquire these properties said, hey, stop buying. Let's just sit on this portfolio for the next three to five years and see what happens with it. So I technically didn't have a job anymore because there was no more jobs to project manage. Right. right? right. And so then what what ended up happening, I was actually looking for engineering jobs what i what i was afraid of that my parents said what happened happened yeah yeah (laughs) and i was looking for engineering and i get and i was able to get engineering offers pretty quickly Mm -hmm. Uh, but i had my wife now at the by 2014 you know i told her i don't want to go back to the corporate (laughs) world um i i loved what i did this last year and so she she said well you've learned a lot like what else can you do with what you've learned and i was like you know what you're right and so i started kind of looking around what can i do and mm-hmm. so one of the things that I was doing with the company that I had sweat equity in mm-hmm. was I was buying properties, rehabbing them and selling them on contract. OK. Mm-hmm. OK. You know, one of the ways to that I've learned that you can make money in business is by solving problems. Right. And so one of the things that I found out growing up is that, unfortunately, there was people taking advantage of our Latino community yeah. and selling houses to them on contract where they would like take uh, in, increase interest rates after one year from yeah. like six to 12 to 15 percent like well, doing all this crazy stuff yeah well it happened to, to our family where i like you know because we were born here in des moines um and right when i was born my parents bought a house on contract on the east side 
and then uh, we only lived there for like five years and then we ended up moving but I found out like over time that they like I would all I could remember is that the house was white so I would like ask them like hey what happened to the to the white house and over time they would just like tell me like little bits and pieces but now that I got my real estate license and all that they told me like oh we were taking advantage of because we didn't you know we didn't know the language so the interest rates were raising like all this stuff that they just didn't know was in the contract yeah and that's that i knew that happened to my uncles and stuff too Mm -hmm. and and some other just people from church and things of that nature so what i had proposed was like hey there's an opportunity here to provide a good product to the community still make a little bit of money but not take advantage of anyone you know and because i'm a big believer in you do what's right because it's the right thing to do right and so I was able to figure out an equation that was a win-win for everyone. So not do those raises in, in interest rates and things of that nature, but still provide a good product that was still uh, an, an opportunity to do a little bit of business and make a little bit of money. And so uh, every so often that year from 2013 to 2014, even though I didn't have too many properties, uh-huh. um, I would still I was starting to get a name in the community because I was also on newspapers and things like that, advertising yeah. the houses that I was rehabbing. And every so often, every so often, I would get a regular consumer that would come, and they would have a, an amazing credit score, like 700 credit score, yeah. you know. And they just came to me because someone said, "Oh, go to Junior because mm. he speaks Spanish and um, he has houses, right?" And I and I would tell them, "Hey, actually, you don't need to buy one of my contract sale houses. You can go out and get a better interest rate with the bank than having to pay a little bit higher interest rate on contract yeah so why don't you go do that plus i only have two houses you there you can actually have access to the 50 60 other houses in your price point right. and so i would refer them to my realtor friends and, and lender friends mm-hmm. to help them out because it was the right thing to do obviously i'm like hey if you like one of my houses by all means but use a a regular loan to buy yeah, them yeah. instead of on contract because it's the right thing to do right, right. it just didn't make sense for them to buy yeah, it on contract. yeah yeah you know um and so that's what what ended up uh, you know what was happening and i didn't realize how many leads i had sent over or families i had sent uh-huh. over to my realtor and lender friends um and when i looked back on my notes i had sent about 20 you know mm-hmm. and when i did the like i'm like well, what is how does a realtor make money yeah, yeah. and i found out you know I get, they get three percent off of the purchase price and things of that nature and i calculated oh my goodness i sent like 70 80 grand in commissions <laughs> was over. this just in one year <laughs> yeah and oh, this okay. was just in one year and so i was just like and you know they only took me out to eat once like <laughs> <laughs> and uh so what I, I i started looking into what does it take to become a, a real estate a a, yeah. yeah a realtor a real estate agent and I found out it was pretty easy. It's like 60, here in Iowa, it's like 60 hours, pass uh-huh. a test, and 36 hours of mandatory classes. So I, I talked to my wife then. And I was like, I think I want to pursue this. You know, it looks mm-hmm. like I can make money being a real estate agent. And then I also came across the book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And then that's when I really said, oh, I'm doing this. And when I read, I when I get, a, get into a book that I really like, I literally don't put it down. Like I literally will sometimes read through the night to just devour that book and that's what i ended up doing with that one it didn't take me very long to finish it and what i uh, what 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 i really found out about that book is i could build a multi-million dollar business just following the systems and models within that book to build that business 
mm. right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which kind of adhered to the like the systems guy in me the engineer in me i was like yeah. I literally i can just follow this book page by page and one of the things that that book says is to always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you mm. better than you in any which way you know and so even on our team i th- i look at right now i can think of and a shout out to all all of our teammates here at Abar Realty. I can just think of all everyone on my on our team is way better than me in <laughs> so many ways, you know. And and, uh, and so I'm just the guy on the on the sideline saying, "Yeah, let's get it," you know. And uh, and that book did teach that. But from day one, what I have as a good strength is I have a I, I once I have a vision, I'm gonna go for it no matter what going back to you're not afraid to do it right yeah i'm not afraid <laughs> and so that's what happened so i literally got my license uh from day one like I, I i interviewed multiple brokerages you know locally and ultimately decided to partner up you know with keller williams and we're still with them uh, because of the author of the melliner the melliner real estate agent is gary keller mm-hmm. so i was like why not go with the you know the the author plus at that time too Keller Williams, I, I'm also big on culture and people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back then, Keller Williams, because they were new in, in, in town, they were actually only getting paid a dollar by this other company uh, when they brought a buyer to the table because it was their way of like kind of handling new was new it, businesses. Wasn't that, that old company that was only paying the $1 to Keller Williams? I think they had most of the market here in Des Moines, right? Yeah. So that was kind of their sense of saying, hey, we don't want your competition. So kind of to, you know, make you go away, we're not going to pay you full price. You're, you're half, you're yeah, the yeah. half of the commission, right? Because right? Exactly, yeah. most of the time a seller will hire a listing brokerage and pay them 6%. But if another brokerage brings a buyer, they split that that 6% or that 7% right. in half, you know. Mm-hmm. In this case, they weren't. They were just paying a dollar. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but what I found out was that Keller Williams, like, National found out about this. Oh, okay, yeah. And when they found out about this, like, all the Keller Williams agents across the country and even across the world started started donating money to a family fund, yep, yep. which supported literally Iowa because it was the only place yeah. where it was happening. And so when even though we would get paid a dollar at closing when we would and and the cool thing that I found out about the local agents even though they were only getting paid a dollar they were still doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do and they were mm-hmm. still taking those clients to those houses and if that's the house they wanted to write on they would still write on it. Mm-hmm. And so when Keller Williams National found out about this they're like this is we're going to support our new found family in Iowa and they all donated money into this fund and eventually what was happening was that yes we would I was still part of that like I remember getting a dollar check (laughs) when I would bring a buyer to this company and but you know we would wait a month to two months later and Keller Williams National would re like make us whole again and Uh actually give us the three percent but that they didn't make you whole like right away right Mm -hmm. like like you said it the story started building up building up and that's when they kind of like found out about yeah. it yeah eventually eventually they found out and they said hey we're gonna help you make you whole again you that's know crazy. and yeah. agents literally out of, pulled money out of their own pocket to help wow. us out across the country and i think there's um a youtube video about that i believe it's called the des moines story on keller williams uh youtube page yeah i believe you can google keller williams des moines story and i believe there is a really cool video about that Mm -hmm. and so i actually chose keller williams 
even though that was still i was in they told me hey full disclosure if you sell a house from this company you get paid a dollar but here is what's happening with keller williams national i was like that is amazing i want to be part of that kind of culture Mm. so i joined keller williams and so day one newly licensed i walk into the office Mm -hmm. the old office that used to be over on hickman and 100th and i walked in like my car my my shirt had bar realty group logos Uh the signs like everything had a bar realty group you know logos obviously with full disclosure being part of keller williams and whatnot but like so the agents were like oh are you are you an an agent that transferred from another company like and i'm like no i I just got my license last week (laughs) they're like what you shouldn't be spending tens upon thousands of dollars on all this marketing stuff if you don't even have a client and i was like no you don't like i'm here to build this vision uh, and build this multi-million dollar company i'm not here to be a real estate agent Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Like, yeah. who the heck are you? you know? <laughs> How old were you at this time, by the way? I, I think I was like 27. So you're this 27-year-old being a new agent with all this gear. I think, what, the average uh, age of a realtor is like 55, yeah. something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think NAR says it's like 55, 58, something like that. Yeah, so, so that's crazy. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I, I, I just knew I was going to go after this. It was like, I'm going all in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I did. And so that's kind of what started my journey in the, in what, you know, six years ago, um, is now building up to be an amazing real estate team with hyper, hyper talented people on the team, you know? So that's what started that journey. Luckily, you know, little by little, I started kind of going out, doing whatever I needed to do. I was the first one in at the office back then and the last one there. And I, w- I, was, I would always come in. I'm going to get at these three appointments per week. And if I don't get to them and it's Friday night at 7 and I wanted to go out and have fun with my friends, I would be like, I'm not leaving until I get my third appointment. Or I would go home, sleep, and wake up bright and early saturday morning until i hit those appointments for that week so how was um how did the support system from your family change in this time from where you went engineering to working for free to getting paid less to now being an agent i mean the good thing is you know even though they were like you're crazy they were all they've always been very supportive they're like well what do you need us to do (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and so when i finally got my license i'm like just tell the whole world what i do you know tell people that i help families buy home or invest in real estate and they've always been supportive in that manner you know and so yeah i i'm very thankful and very blessed that you know little by little you know i i was able to help families so when an average agent i think sells three houses in two years or three or four houses i think is what a statistic is out there um i was licensed in may of 2014 and from may to december i was able to help 12 families which to me i didn't know i didn't know i didn't even know that statistic and that's probably good that i didn't know that statistic (laughs) Uh, but you know that's you know a couple homes a month you know for being new that's actually when i look back i guess pretty good and so the book says if you're going to average about three homes per month you should hire your first uh talent you know talent or assistant or whatever i like to call people talent because they everyone is an awesome human and they have they bring so much talent to the table so talent and so um if 
so I knew I actually didn't have very much money saved. I had spent, I literally emptied out my savings to start a bar realty group, but I had, I started saving up again, knowing that I wanted to build this business as fast as possible. And so in right at 2015, I had, I only had enough savings to maybe cover like two months worth of salary for someone, you know, but I knew that with the 12 people that I had already helped. And because I was finally starting to see the fruits of my labor of going after all those appointments, I was going to average three, fa- three a month. And uh-huh. so I, I risked it and I hired my first person like January, the first week of January oh. after being only in the business six months. And again, the agents in my office are like, um, <laughs> I've been in this business for 15 years and I don't have an assistant, you know, like <laughs> why do you, why are you, why do you think you, you need an assistant? Yeah. Like you've only helped 12 people. And I was like, well, the book says that if I'm going to average three per month, I need someone to help me with that so yeah. that I can go out there and continue to network, build business, build relationships and bring business to the table. So you could tell right from the get go, from the very beginning, you went into getting your license in a whole different way that many people do like you know like you were saying these people were agents 15 20 years and still did not have their first talent and you just boom right away i was going after that vision like Mm -hmm. that literally the book tells you here's how your organizational chart should look like when you've built a multi-million dollar business so i started with the end in mind right yeah and so as soon as i hired that that first talent on my team who I still remember, her name's Cassandra, and shout out to her. She's now a really successful agent out in California in Palo Alto. She's kicking butt. And so she helped me uh, back then in 2015, and then eventually I hired my – she had to leave because her significant other uh, ended up getting a really cool job, you know, which is playing soccer professionally. So, hey, isn't that cool? I wish I had that too. Right, right. (laughs) I I wasn't that talented. I love soccer, but I wasn't that talented. Uh And so she moved out there, and it was sad to see her go, but I – uh, the good thing is I was able to bring on someone else, you know, that more helped talent. me as well. Uh, yeah, more talent. And so we, we that year mm-hmm. in 2015, I w- we were able to help 48 families, like, buy and sell a home. This was your second year, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was my first full calendar year. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, 48. And so that was awesome. And I kept kind of reinvesting that money for more talent. That's when the time in 2015 yeah. where I would be going to the bank and cashing those commission checks and taking tons of selfies and sending them to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I for, almost forgot about Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I. the book says it takes, 20, I believe it says 23 years to build this multi-million dollar company. And I knew the way to do it way faster was to surround myself with hyper, hyper talent. And so I knew that one of those that I wanted to be in a business relationship with was Ryan. Cause like I said, I've always said that he's like at least 30 times smarter than me. And so I, I would do this and, and, and because I wanted him to come out here and do this with me, you know? And so it took me all of 2015 and part of 2016 where he finally came on board in the middle of 2016. So was Ryan still at the engineering job this whole time? Yep, he was at an engineering, uh, that one, and then another the engineering one? company as well. But yes, he was still in the engineering field, correct? And then finally, he's like, he, he ultimately, what he told me is he finally made the decision because he didn't want to go to his deathbed and, said, and say what could have happened. Yeah, the what if. 
the yeah what if i would have you know and so i'm so glad he did because in 2016 again you know we from 2015 we helped 48 families and in 2016 you know with him coming on board and kind of revamping all of our systems and tools uh, we were able to help 80 families and that was when i was still the only sales agent you know on the team you know and uh, one thing that ryan analyzed at the end of uh 2016 was like hey junior like you out of those 80 60 of that 65 of them i think were buyers and the book says we should be focusing on listings because listings create leverage every for every listing you're gonna you should get three deals the sale of the house you know buying side too the buying side too and then probably a lead that you get from people calling your sign you know because your signs are out there and so um so that's when we started looking for other talent and i had been talking to a gal named maria back then who was a solo agent shout out maria yeah shout out to maria and so what i found out about her is she was like way more likable than me Ah. (laughs) (laughs) like people just love her and her energy is amazing and so luckily we we started talking to her about joining the team and becoming a buyer specialist okay you know and she finally you know decided to join and we decided to partner up and ever since then that was kind of the core yeah and ever since then we've been able to continue to grow year after year you know to the point where you now you fast forward you know we started kind of the team in 2016 officially you know um and you fast forward in 2020 and we're one of the fastest growing teams in the metro you know um and we're gonna help you know close to 250 families this year and then I think within the next couple of years, we'll, we're going to surpass 500, you know. Oh, and yeah. now we're bringing on some amazing talent like yourself, right? Hey. We, we got a 19-year-old <laughs> turned 20 here recently, yeah. literally helping four families a month. Like, he's going to hit six figures, and he's 20 years old. <laughs> like, I didn't, you know, it's a, like most of us haven't hit six figures until we got past 30. Yeah. And to just be a little like i get more excitement to me it's not even about the money it's about the journey Mm -hmm. and i get more excitement in seeing others succeed and that you know myself and the team had a little bit to do with that you know and 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 then continuing to grow this this vision even bigger because what happens when you bring on this kind of talent like yourself and everyone else on the team your, your your vision gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger mm-hmm. and the biggest challenge as a leader is to make sure that you continue to expand that circle because say you hire you know i like to call there's empire builders and empire protectors mm. empire builders are those ones that want to continue to grow and grow right okay. yeah, and yeah. If so if their circle is this big you know like if i'm kind of showing here if you do watch us on youtube you can kind of see my my actual expressions oh, yeah. but like <laughs> you know if you're if you hire an empire builder whose circle is this big and your 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 circle is bigger than theirs right so they fit inside your circle yeah but as a natural empire builder, their circle continues to just grow and grow and grow. And then eventually outgrow. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't grow your circle, they'll what what will they do? They'll stop growing as well. Right? Yeah. Well they'll or, or, leave. No, they're outgrowing. Yeah, yeah, they'll outgrow you, so they'll go out and leave, right? Yeah. So that's the cool challenge that I have now. Ah. And again, I love challenges. Is now my my circle should continue to get bigger and bigger and i love that challenge to continue to provide even more and more opportunity together so now that you've stepped into this this team leader role how do you feel like it it um 
it's different from you know just being an agent in production yeah i mean there's a ton of failure happening <laughs> like i am failing at a lot of things you probably you like people don't realize it uh -huh. but there's a lot of failure like getting yeah. to this level like and, and just knowing how to help you know create systems create tools how to help coach how to help mentor how to help even how to say things differently how to say things with scripts you know mm -hmm. all of that stuff is tri has been trial and error for me <laughs> like even investing in properties was all trial and error until you figure out how to do it right right and but that's one thing i've never been afraid to do is fail you know mm -hmm. and so with this every single day i'm failing at something <laughs> but luckily i like I, now i'm able to tap into everyone and get their input to see how we can continue to do things better right and yeah. continue to to climb that ladder of success ultimately right, right. i guess and i forgot who said it some motivational speaker speak uh speaker i think i don't know if it was gary keller or tom ferry one of those they said that um they and i might be butchering this story but i believe this is what i heard that they tell their daughter that she needs to fail at something every single day or else she's not like accomplishing what she needed to to do that day so every single night he asks her like hey what'd you fill out today yeah. and if she doesn't have an answer for it then he's like well like you gotta fill tomorrow yeah exactly if you're if you're not growing you're dying you know it's mm -hmm. another statement out there and if you stay in your comfort zone nothing happens when you're in your comfort zone right you get outside of your comfort zone and things will happen <laughs> and that's when you really start to see change right mm -hmm. and so that's the the challenge for, and that i challenge everyone else out there is to to get out of your comfort zone you know mm -hmm. and that's kind of the spirit of the entrepreneur right yeah and so now i'm very you know through all of this failure you're you know and 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 the want to to actually pursue more failure well, you know, continues to also create, you know, opportunities and other opportunities for success, you know. And so, yeah. and again, I, it, it's, it's one of those things where you have to have the want or the desire or not be, f you know, have, you know, you're going to have fear, but just take that first step, you know. And so, and, and that's kind of going back to my original story, my parents even doing that for us because mm -hmm. my dad was an engineer. And he went to a country where he knew nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the language, not the culture, not anything. That's like me graduating from Iowa State University. Now that I have my son Max and my daughter Lucy and another baby on the way and saying, hey, I'm going to go look for a better life for them. So even though I studied engineering at Iowa State, I'm going to go build soccer balls for a living, <laughs> knowing that, you know, in, in some other foreign like country, India, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And just because I know it's going to be a way better opportunity because it's always about, uh, and I, one of the big things with me is legacy. How can I continue from, you know, help build that legacy that my dad and his dad started mm -hmm. and continue to improve that for generations to come you know and that also now it translates into everyone that's, that's part of my bar realty group family is how do we continue to build those opportunities for them and their generations to come as well that's awesome man that's that's so dope i think that's a, a good little introduction into um you know your backstory and then if people want to hear more about how you have been growing ibarra realty group over the years and some of the other challenges and sacrifices that you've of endured along the way of you know just building the team in general um 
is there anything else kind of you want to say lastly either um anything about your realty group anything like that in general no yeah again you know if if you're in the des moines metro area and you're looking to buy sell or invest in real estate give us a call or look us up on our website at ibarrealtygroup.com and i just want to give a shout out to everyone on the team on Ibar realty group they are amazing and all of you uh is the reason why we're continuing to grow so yeah that's that's all i have for you on that no yeah. there we go there we go so i think uh that's gonna wrap it up for the first episode of the failing ads up podcast um make sure you guys do um if you're watching this on youtube comment down below any questions that you guys guys have like share with uh friends and family make sure you hit the subscribe button um, also, follow us on our social media pages. Uh, I believe at the moment we do got an Instagram page and a f- Facebook page. It's just going to be Failing Ads Up Podcast is where you can find us there. Um, I think that's pretty much it, right, Junior? Yeah, no, again, this is an uh, this concept is the beginning of something great, and we're super, super, super pumped to just interview others in their journeys and in, in failure because ultimately, like he said, failing adds up. There you go. I'll leave it at that. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in with us on this episode of Failing Ads Up. Till next time.